if you're planning on being rich, you may want to consider another profession. <laughs> because 33 years later, I haven't quite made it there. I can't say this, I'm not rich, but I have been enriched along the way in ways that no paycheck could ever, uh, you couldn't give me enough money to do some of the things that I've done to receive some of the intrinsic uh, benefits, the rewards that I feel internally for the things that I've done. listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey, Black and Blue fam, welcome to another fun-filled installment of the Black and Blue Podcast, because this is where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. My name is Dale, and I'm the host, the MC, the ringmaster, whatever you want to call it, that's me. I appreciate you taking some time to check out what I got going on here, because I got a real good one for you today. But first, if you haven't done so already, please consider clicking those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. It really helps me out a lot on those algorithms. And if you're listening to me on your favorite podcast platform, please rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And finally, make sure you head on over to my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so like I said, I got a real good one for you here today. My guest is the acting director of the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. But you may know him a little bit better as the ATF. Everybody, help me welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, Acting ATF Director, Marvin Richardson. Evening, afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for joining me on the show. Definitely my pleasure. All right. So you are in uh, Washington, D.C. right now. How's, how's the weather out there in D.C. today? Well, since it's not snowing anymore, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> we had that, uh, I hope, that last blast of winter over the weekend here. And so now it's sunny. Still cold, but sunny. Still cold, huh? Yeah, I'm out in Southern California, so I, I can't feel too sorry for you. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a beautiful day in the 70s. You know, can't brag a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe my daughter is going to be uh, moving out that way soon. She just got to accepted to Howard University. She's a, a, a high school senior right now. So um, she may be out there in D.C. joining here shortly in the fall. Excellent. I went to Howard my freshman year in college, and my wife is a Howard law grad. All right. All right. So a little keeping it in family here. Appreciate that. There you go. Yeah. So I mentioned you are the acting director of the ATF. Um, tell everybody a little bit about uh, ATF, what its functions are, and how long you've been there. So sure, Dale, I appreciate the, the lead in there. But uh, so ATF is 
the federal law enforcement agency that uh, enforces the federal alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives laws. And when you really cut down to the chase, uh, we actually are the people who ensure that we protect the public against violent crime and regulate those industries uh, dealing with firearms and explosives. The alcohol and tobacco piece, uh, the name always kind of throws people off a little bit. We still do alcohol and tobacco, but mostly in the diversion cases where we're dealing with people who are sometimes trying to use those two commodities uh, to divert those proceeds to other criminal uh, enterprises. So uh, not so much on the alcohol and tobacco from an enforcement perspective, uh, but certainly the firearms, arson, and explosives, everything that goes bang, boom, or burns, we've got an invitation to the party. So we try to make sure that we have people available uh, to show up uh, when uh, when that call goes out. Okay. So you're the primary agency, that uh, federal agency that handles explosives and firearms. And, uh, of course, you know, state agencies do so as well. Out here in California, we have uh, Cal DOJ. Uh, they have a firearms division that, that handles that as well. Um, what, what is you guys' relationship to state agencies that, that do the sort, same the sort, sort of the same thing? So obviously um, partners, right? So more than anything, I think in any law enforcement arena, you know, there's never enough uh, when the call actually goes out and you really need people to respond. Uh, so to, uh, to have, we partner with uh, federal, state, and local agencies to ensure that when something kind of crosses that line into the federal arena, uh, if we have firearms trafficking cases, we got individuals who are convicted felons, who are not supposed to be in possessions of firearm. Uh, you got folks who are uh, illegally diverting firearms from the legal market to the illegal market, trafficking them uh, to individuals who are not supposed to have them. We come into play in those arenas to try and make sure that those people, uh, the folks who primarily are trafficking firearms and putting those guns into the hands of people who are not supposed to have them. Uh, we try to make sure that those trigger pullers and those traffickers are our primary subjects of our investigations. And we try to uh, remove them from communities because they're the ones that are out there. We know they're causing the most damage. No doubt. No doubt. And, and how long have you been with the agency? So I've been with ATF for 33 years. So I know, uh, I know I don't let my good looks fool you. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I've been here uh, uh, for 33 years, and prior to coming to ATF, I was a police officer. Uh, in fact, I was a campus police officer for five years at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas. Okay. So so you're from Texas? Yes, sir. Native Texan. Uh, grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, ended up uh, going to school right there in, uh, in Denton. I went to Howard my freshman year. My father passed away, and I went back home to be closer to my mom. I ended up... Uh, graduating from the University of North Texas, where I was also a police officer. All right. Well, thank you for your service over there, um, Texan. So I, I would assume that you're you're a cowboy fan. Is that is that about right? Uh, Sums it up. That, that's hey, <laughs> through and through, can't help it. I grew, grew up with uh, the star, and you know, the big hole in the stadium, and God watching the team play. You know, hey, God <laughs> watching on Sunday. That God that is football. a Texan. That is a Texan through and through, right? A God watching the Cowboys play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of these days, we'll, we'll get you uh, back to the Super Bowl. I'm a Niner fan myself, so I've had a lot of a lot of great battles with the with the Cowboys. A lot of great ones. So, there you go. Yeah. So, what led you to the ATF out of uh, from campus law enforcement? So, actually, an interesting story. So, there were, there were several of us uh, at the police department. I had two really good friends who um, both left um, a little bit ahead of me. One actually went to the FBI, and uh, they're very you know 
my best friend, one of my, in fact, uh, he's my children's godfather to this very day. Uh, he left and went to the FBI and another good friend left and went to ATF. Uh, I was in the process of applying actually with everyone. I had uh, took that shotgun approach and put my name in the hat with ATF, FBI, DEA, Secret Service, and figured whoever came knocking first, I'd see what happened. Uh, but the good thing was I actually had those two guys to kind of bounce off of. You know, it's like anything else. You try to figure out what fits you, you know. Uh, and after really looking at the agencies, looking at the missions, and having some conversation uh, with folks, I have another good friend who I'd worked a, uh, a Secret Service uh, agent who I'd worked a telecommunications fraud case with. And after I got to looking around, you know, ATF really seemed to fit who I was, right? I think more than anything, you always try to find that fit. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to really help people in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area where I felt like I could do the most good. I'd done my share of working a little bit undercover here and there, did some narcotics stuff here and there, and really did like the violent crime aspect of working, you know, in the ATF uh, arena because it seemed like, you know, you, you should never be bored, right? I mean, if you can work firearms, arson, and explosives, I was like, hey, you yeah. know, you got a pretty wide variety there, so no time to be bored. Yeah. Did you have any background with the explosives or arson or, or firearms prior to uh, going to ATF? No, I did not. In fact, uh, in fact, that was, again, another one of those uh, those things that attracted me there was just the opportunity to learn something new. I mean, I felt like I was a pretty decent criminal investigator. I knew my way around uh, investigations. But uh, actually, when I started uh, at the uh, at the agency in Dallas, my very first group was an arson explosive group. Knew absolutely nothing, which was fantastic because I'm that curious guy. Right. I want to be challenged all the time. And it was an opportunity to really learn almost a whole new trade or a whole new craft in investigations when you start talking about uh, investigating arsons and explosive cases, because you got to remember, you know, I mean, you're, you're going into a scene where nothing is what it used to be. Once it has been burnt up, blown up, uh, the one thing that I can tell you I learned early on about matter, you know, you can do whatever you want to, but you can't always destroy it. Uh, there's a way to determine what it was from whatever its state is currently, right? So from the ashes, interesting the things that you can learn uh, when you're going back and you're doing uh, uh, submitting stuff to the lab for different examinations and uh, having them tell you uh, the results. So uh, so that, that to me was very exciting. It was one of those opportunities to do something different and learn something new. Yeah, yeah. We spoke a, a little bit off air about uh, my prior life. I was a uh, IRS CI special agent. And uh, when I went to training in Glencoe, half of my class were special agents with uh, ATF uh, trainees at the time. And uh, so you go through half of that training and then you at, once you're done with that, you you branch off to your own individual agency training. And ATF was always blowing up something over there at Fletzy. I mean, you could hear the booms going off every day. <laughs> And we would, and we would joke, oh, there's ATF blowing stuff up again. <laughs> there you go. Hey, you get, you got to tear it up in order to put it back together. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, th those are some good guys. I, I hope they're, they're still doing well over there at the agency. Uh, that's a pretty good, uh, high speed agency. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you, you said you went back to Texas and you learned how to do some arsons and explosive sort of stuff. What, what sort of assignments have you had, uh, across your career? 
So um, I like to consider myself a jack of all trades uh, here at ATF. I don't think there are too many jobs that I haven't done, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, go all the way back in time when I first came on the job uh, just as a special agent working cases. So it was a uh, was a full-time case agent working in what we had, uh, we called our Achilles groups back in the day. And uh, we were assigned to like a 12 square block area uh, in sometimes the worst parts of town. Uh, and just given the, 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 the task of going in there and cleaning it up, right? Making sure that you get rid of those folks who were uh, pulling triggers and, uh, and, 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 you know, out there uh, just wreaking havoc in communities. So uh, aside from being a street agent, uh, I was also a public information officer. <laughs> so uh, I was a PIO actually at the police department for a short period of time. And uh, I was at Waco as a part of our special response team uh, back in 1993. And our uh, public information officer, um, just you know, it was it was just a whole lot to handle, right? And so, uh, at the point that uh, that particular person was not able to carry those duties out any further, my uh, SAC special agent in charge says, "Hey, you're it. <laughs> you did this at the police department, didn't you? You can handle it." And I was like, "Okay." So, okay, uh, did a little work and uh, did it, uh, and then and then decided, you know, uh, after I. Things went pretty well there, handling some of that press. Uh, he actually put me in the position there for about a year, year and a half, and I did that. Uh, then moved on up the ranks, got into uh, into supervision and leadership uh, as a group supervisor, uh, assistant special agent in charge. Uh, I was the chief of our National Center for Explosives Training and Research for a period of time. I've been the chief of our uh, uh, professional review board, so the dean of discipline, so to speak. <laughs> uh, okay. And from there, we I'm a special agent in charge, and then up into the executive levels of leadership here with ATF as the deputy assistant director, assistant director, and uh, eventually ended up the, the COO, the number two here, uh, and back uh, in June of this 2021, 20, uh, uh, became the acting director. Okay. All right. And how's the uh, acting job working for you? You know, it's uh, it's one of those jobs that uh, you know uh, you you don't start out thinking this is what I want to do in my career, uh, but you find yourself, I think, you know, in the right place at the right time. And I'm a I'm a Christian man, so I believe that you know, hey, you know, there's nothing that happens by circumstance or happenstance. I think you know there's a plan, and I think for me to be where I am right now had to be part of that plan because I'm supposed to have been retired three years ago. Oh, so. As an 1811 special agent, you know, you, uh, you have a shelf life, as we like to call it. So uh, at age 57, you're mandatory for retirement. Uh, at that time, uh, when I turned 57, uh, the then acting director, Mr. Tom Brandon, asked me if I'd stick around. So I did. Uh, he retired. And then uh, Miss Regina Lombardo, who was uh, the next acting director, asked me if I'd stick around. And I did. And so here I am in that third extension. And uh, she exited stage left. And so I found myself being the last man standing. Uh, wow. So, uh, so just, uh, again, uh, call it, you know, call it what you want. I always think that, you know, we get places by divine appointment. So for me, I'm, uh, I'm at this appointment right on time. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. So explain to everybody here that probably doesn't know a little bit about the qualifications to become a special agent with ATF. I know you said that there's a shelf life at 57 and, and that's across the board. Um, all 15, uh, 1811s, uh, mandatory retirement at uh, 57, but you did say that uh, you can get some extensions. Kind of talk about that, that progression, uh, how you start out as, as an agent and how you can end your career. 
Sure. Yeah. So, so obviously, just like there's a there's a shelf life, but there's also there's a cutoff date for getting into uh, the 1811 series because uh, you have to be able to put 20 years into your retirement program, right? So all those important things. Uh, so you got to be in by age 37 so that you can put in 20 years and retire by age 57. But obviously, you can. Uh, you can come on the job uh, pretty much out of college. In fact, we just closed uh, an announcement for special agents for recent college graduates uh, who would come out. Uh, you have to have a college degree. Uh, with that college degree, it opens the door for you. Obviously, no criminal history, no, uh, no background that would prohibit you from being able to pass federal background check and or be able to, uh, uh, to, to maintain a top secret security clearance. Uh, once you get through the process, you know, and... Uh, Get through your background and come on the job. Obviously, you, you indicated you, know, you head down to uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center uh, that's uh, more uh, fondly known as FLETSI. You go there and do that first school, which is our criminal investigator basic training uh, course. And then after you finish that, you go to your uh, ATF uh, basic training course there. And uh, once you finish, you're in the field, ready to go to work. All right. And being a federal agency, do you have a choice of where you get to go or is it, uh, as they say, needs of the agency, needs and service? A little bit of both. Right. So we say needs of the bureau. But at the same time, we do ask people, you know, where, what are your top five choices? You know, where would you like to be able to go? And when we can accommodate. We do the best uh, to make sure that we, we do, because starting out, you know, let's just face it. The other thing about being a public servant. Let me give this warning there. If you're planning on being rich, you may want to consider another profession. Because <laughs> 33 years later, there. I haven't made it there. I can't say this. I'm not rich, but I have been enriched along the way in ways that no paycheck could ever. Uh, you couldn't give me enough money to do some of the things that I've done to receive some of the intrinsic uh, benefits, the rewards that I feel internally for the things that I've done. So. Uh, so certainly not a not a uh, not a profession that you want to go into if you're thinking about being uh, the next millionaire. Uh, but I think that uh, when you start talking about being enriched as a public servant, no better place to be uh, than uh, here at ATL. Yeah. And 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 don't get get the uh, director wrong here. I mean, it is a uh, career where you can make a good living and raise a family as well. So. Most definitely. I, I should say you're not going to get rich, but you certainly won't be poor. Yeah, definitely. definitely <laughs> uh, I've been able to raise six children and get them through college. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself and I'll be able to retire with a few dollars in my pocket. So okay, work out okay. just fine. So six children, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. And, and you got them all through college. Uh, four girls and two boys. The last uh, daughter is a freshman at Duke University right now. Wow. Congratulations there, Papa. Congratulations there. So she gets to see uh, Coach Krzyzewski right off into the sunset. It's his last season yes, there, sir. right? That's yeah, it, our, yes. Yeah. You a basketball fan yourself? Most definitely. You know, college fan more than anything else. Uh, I like the I like to play for the spirit of the game. I appreciate the guys that play for the money, but I'm a college kind of a fan because uh, I really like to see those young men and women out there competing, you know, for, uh, for school, school spirit, and a little pride. Yep. And we're coming up on March madness here pretty quick. Uh, what's your team? I know, uh, uh, North Texas probably won't be in the tournament. They're, they're not even, a, it's not a D one school, right? No, it is a D one school. Yes. Yeah, so okay. It is D one, but no, they will not be, uh, they will not be <laughs> gracing the NCAA this year. 
<laughs> so, okay. Uh, modern, but they just uh, didn't quite make the cut this year. I got you. I got you. And you didn't serve any time in the military. Is that correct? No, sir. I did not. In fact, look, I come from a military family, though. All my dad and all my brothers. Uh, in fact, uh, my sisters even married military men. And I'm, uh, I was the last. Uh, there were nine of us and my mom and dad actually adopted one of my cousins. So there were 10 of us in total uh, growing up in the house there. And all of them either went to the military or uh, or married military. Uh, I had an opportunity to serve and I chose to do it here through public service. Yeah, you're serving in this capacity here. So, yeah, you're doing the thing there. So this uh, this show being uh, black and blue, uh, we like to profile minorities in law enforcement and yourself being African-American. What was your journey to even become a police officer uh, back in Texas, uh, you know, being African-American? Did you kind of have people that were kind of like not so hot, you know, in your family or, or your friends that you wanted to become a police officer and get into law enforcement? So yeah, it was definitely different uh, because you know again growing up and and I grew up in a in a small black community there on the west side of Fort Worth, Texas, and a lot of times growing up, you know, the only time you saw police officers coming in the community, you knew somebody was somebody's dad, brother, cousin, uncle was going to jail. That was about mm-hmm. it, you know. So I can't say that I had that I grew up with this dream of always wanting to be a police officer. That wasn't my journey at all. In fact, I was in college uh, and I was a business major and uh, had a uh, computer information systems minor thought that hey maybe I'd get into business and make a lot of money that's what I thought the future held for me uh, but I had a really good friend in fact the gentleman that I told you that left and went to the FBI uh, was a criminal justice major he was also a fraternity brother of mine uh, and he uh, one morning one Saturday morning says hey I'm gonna go and take the test for the police department why don't you go with me you know and I was like man I don't want to do that you know and he goes just go with me so you know being the good fraternity brother that I was I went with him and I ended up taking the test and, you know, I ended up getting a call saying, hey, we want to offer you. I said, no, no, no. That was for my best friend. I just went with him, you know. And the next thing I know, uh, you know, I'm saying, uh, and how much do you pay? <laughs> I figured at that point, uh, business wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be for me. I wasn't passionate about it. And I figured I'd stay in school maybe a little longer, uh, keep moving on, get another degree. But here I am 38 years later, I think uh, it speaks for itself. I fell in love uh, with the profession because it really gave me that opportunity uh, to learn how to help people, right? To, to, to be something more uh, to people than I, you know, th- than just, you know, making a paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. That part there, helping people out. And you kind of fell in love with it as you went along. So yeah, congratulations there on, on finding your calling. Yeah, and I think you, you just hit the nail on the head. You know, public service is just that. It's a calling. It's not really a job. You know, I talked a lot earlier about intrinsic value, you know, and uh, and that is that that's that thing inside of you that you just get from doing something that you know is right. You know, and I, again, I come from a no-nonsense family. My dad, you know, was a my dad was a construction worker. My mom was a custodian, you know, and they raised all of our uh, all of their children on those kinds of salaries, very modest means. I don't think we knew we were poor because we were always so rich in love in our house uh, that, you know, we didn't really deal so much with the material things. It was about what the family really was able to offer us. And my dad gave us a very no-nonsense foundation uh, that helped us to understand that the world was always bigger than we were. uh, And that, you know, one of the things that we could do along the way was make a contribution back to it, right? So, 
Uh, so being able to get into public service and especially in the law enforcement where you had that opportunity to help people who couldn't help themselves in certain situations uh, really did, I think, give me uh, that, that fire to really want to help other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I really uh, respect the ATF of um, all the agencies, all the federal agencies. I, w- I won't say that's the only one, but that's one that's really uh, street level that gets involved with the, you know, with the communities and working with local law enforcement. Uh, I would say ATF and DEA are probably the two that, uh, that and the marshals are really the three DOJ agencies, right? So, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, we'll talk about, uh, you know, ATF wasn't always DOJ, correct? You, you were there during your, your previous parent agency, correct? Yes. In fact, uh, when I started in the agency, we were actually with the Treasury Department. So uh, I was uh, when I came on the job, uh, we were under Treasury and it wasn't until 9-11 and just shortly after that in uh, 2002 that ATF uh, left the Department of Treasury and came to the Department of Justice uh, when the Department of Homeland Security was created. It just seemed to be a better fit. And when you looked at the laws uh, that we enforce, they fit better, I think, under the DOJ umbrella. Uh, and we, we, of course, then we did have a um, a tax collection component, which we left over in Treasury as a part of a new agency called the Tax and Trade Bureau. So uh, uh, I'll call it Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. So uh, so okay. we left that portion of the mission back in Treasury, and you know, and and rightfully so, uh, because again, as a law as a predominantly law enforcement agency. We still do have some tax collection functions that go along uh, with some of the regulatory uh, functions that we have for the uh, for the industries, both alcohol, I'm sorry, both uh, uh, firearms and explosives industries. Uh, but those are mostly in the arena of licensees, licensing fees, and taxes for registration of the different types of firearms. Right, right. So going back to the uh, the creation of the agency, uh, like we said before, you know, I used to be IRS, and there's that big debate on <laughs> i'm sure you know who was the agency actually responsible for uh you know the prohibition and al capone and all that uh you know can, can you talk can you speak on that yourself it's still a hard one to call right i mean you, you got to think about that look at history obviously atf and uh, one of our forerunner agencies uh the bureau of prohibition which was a part of irs at the time uh you know, came into, uh, I guess, really came into fame uh, with uh, Elliot Ness, who, of course, you know, was uh, was known as the great grandfather of ATF, so to speak. Uh, and when that small, you know, team of revenue agents, you know, were, were able to tackle Al Capone and uh, the big, uh, you know, the, the whole aura of gangster mob mentality, yeah. you know, I mean, it, to do that through the tax code. I mean, that's just one of those, it's a legend, you know, one of those things of lore, you know, when you look back in history, wow, you know, they did it, they did it with the numbers and the pencils, right? Yep. Uh, and we're able to, you know, one of the, uh, uh, those, those uh, illegal empires. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you being African-American yourself, it's great to see uh, an African-American minority in, uh, in your position. What's what's the uh, diversity like in your agency? Uh, I've always, like I said, have respect for ATF, and and I've seen uh, minorities in in positions of of leadership and and throughout the agency on the ground level at ATF more so than than a lot of other federal agencies. What what would you speak on that about? 
So we're good, but we can always do better, right? I think it's like any place else, you know, it's always a constant uh, uh, effort to try and bring in the best talent, you know, that you can. And when you're doing that, you got to look at diversity in, in many different, uh, through many different lenses, right? I mean, we look at diversity, not only with regards to race, sex, national origin, color, uh, you know, but we also look at a diversity of skill, experience, background, and you don't get those if you're not intentional about going out to make sure that you're recruiting uh, people. So one of our uh, our strategies, or I shouldn't say our strategy, but it's a motto for us. We want to make sure that, that ATF looks like America, right? Because we serve in communities that are very diverse. And for us to be able to be effective serving in those communities, you've got to look like the communities that you serve. So, uh, so we have some uh, some ongoing recruitment efforts. Obviously, in fact, I just came back recently where uh, I was uh, went down to speak at uh, Prairie View A and M University down in the heart of Texas, down there in the uh, hill country there, just north of uh, north of the Houston area. Uh, it's a uh, uh, it's a historically black college and university, and had an opportunity to really go there, uh, speak to uh, the the uh, senior class there, and to do some recruiting. So. Uh, we try to get out and make sure that we are visible in places so that you can get information, folks. That's one of the things that I think is uh, most difficult when you start talking about recruiting is making sure you can get to the right audiences and your vehicle to get to them matters. So for me uh, and for our team, what we do is we are we are specific in our focus. We try to make sure that we can get to the places where we need to be because there's a you know there's a, a, an axiom that kind of goes you know. If you don't get people in, you can't get people out, right? So you can't complain about not having a diverse uh, organization if you're not recruiting in pools of diversity. So one of the things that we do is we try to make sure we have a focus on getting to those different pools of diversity to make sure that we can get people into the process. And once they get in, you know, now everyone's got a fair chance to really uh, compete so that uh, what you get out should look like what you put in. Yeah, yeah. Earlier, we talked about, uh, you know, when you first come on the job, uh, the agency kind of kind of suggests, you know, or, or takes suggestions on your top five places where you would like to be stationed. It's not necessarily going to happen, but uh, it could happen because they're asking. But, uh, you know, to promote, is there a some sort of requirement that you need to move around if you if you want to promote? So that's always, I think, a given because when you do talk about uh, promotion and when you're looking at on, on the bigger scale, right, you should look at promotion as a part of succession, right? Uh, and succession means that we're actually looking for leaders who are going to ascend in the organization to lead the organization. And so for that, you really do need a, a, a broad range of experiences in different places. So for myself, I moved seven times. <laughs> so uh, my wife's an attorney. She's taken uh, multiple bar exams. And so I'm, I'm thinking, first of all, yes, my wife loves me because if you ask any attorney when they take one bar exam, that's enough to take multiple bar exams. You know, hey, I, I have to give her all the props in the world. Yeah. Uh, she has provided me with an opportunity to pursue uh, my passion while still maintaining, you know, hers. So, uh, so it's, uh, so, so the, the, the concept of moving comes with that whole uh, idea of moving up in the organization because you want to have that exposure to different experiences so that you can understand when you get to a position like the one that I occupy now, you have a broader breadth of, of understanding, right? Because at this level, it really is more about the people, right? It's about the people and the mission, right? Here at ATF, we say um, mission first, people always. 
And you've got to understand that in order for your mission to be successful, you've got to have people who are successful. And to make them successful, you've got to give them opportunities to be exposed uh, to different things throughout the organization so that when they get to those positions of leadership, they can actually see the organization from a different perspective. It's not so much with just blinders on and what's in front of you. It's what's out there, what's beyond, uh, and what is it that you've seen in your rearview mirror that helps you to understand where you've been so you can really focus and know where you're going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to put more of a, a pinpoint on the position as well for, for anyone out there that's thinking about ATF once uh, another vacancy comes up, uh, do you have to be bomb techs? Are, uh, are your special agents able to, you know, cut the red wire? Don't cut the red wire. You know, are they, are they that, uh, that sort of uh, agent where they can, actually can go out and look at a bomb or, or what, what's the deal with explosives? In fact, it's and that's a very good uh, you know segue, right? Because uh, to be an agent is to be an investigator, right? And so for our investigators, I mean, conducting criminal investigations, uh, we we have specialties that do some of those other things, right? So we have certified explosive specialists. So once you're an agent, you decide you want to go that route, but you got to get on the job, learn how to do the job first, right? Then you can become a certified explosive specialist, or if you want to become a fire investigator, we have a certified uh, fire investigator, CFIs. Um, we, have, uh, we have folks who are non-agents who are firearms enforcement officers, and these are folks that have a just a great degree of technical firearms knowledge and they come from multiple different backgrounds be it from law enforcement or the military or some of them were actual gunsmiths themselves uh, and we bring those folks together to really coalesce around our mission and we use those skill sets to make sure that we're able to focus so for an agent who decides to become either cfi or a ces uh, he or she can certainly do that but they also have that ability to do basic investigations, uh, which is really the, that's the foundation uh, for every agent. But then also remember, we regulate the firearms and explosives industries as well. So we do have a non-law enforcement component uh, that, uh, that inspects uh, the industries to ensure that they are uh, in compliance with the rules and regulations. All right, all right. And uh, again, going back to me being with IRS, our, we used to joke that uh, those are the two agencies that you did not want to see coming at your door, IRS and ATF, because those are two hot, hot button uh, enforcement topics. What's your relationship uh, with, uh, you know, gun shows and all that sort of thing um, being ATF? So, you know, so again, with the industry, we regulate the industry. And unless there's a real reason for us to be certain places, uh, we're not there. One of the things that I always try to help people understand, too, is, you know, as uh, while we are a federal organ, a federal agency, we're probably the smallest federal agency in the federal government. Uh, when you look at uh, the, our population, just over 5,083 employees nationwide, that includes everyone, not just uh, special agents, of which there are maybe just a little over 2,700, close to 2,800, uh, you know, but when you look at that, we get this, um, there's a stigma, right, that ATF is going to come and take your guns or something, right? We have 27, right. 2,800 agents nationwide, 
There are enough bad guys out there doing enough damage that we don't have time to come and knock on somebody's door and ask them how many guns you got, right? So that's not our mission at all, you know, to protect the public against violent criminals who commit violent acts using firearms, arson, or explosives. That takes up all of our time. And, uh, and I'll tell you, if I had more, we would focus those, uh, those agents on those very same components of violent crime to try and make our communities uh, just that much safer to live in. Absolutely. Great, great way to uh, explain that. So uh, what's, uh, what's one of the more uh, challenging parts of being the acting director right now? What's, what's a challenging part of your job right now? So, you know, right now it's probably uh, trying to enforce the laws and regulate in what I would say is a constantly changing technical environment. You know, you just have uh, so many instances in which uh, many of the laws and statutes that we enforce uh, were created many, many years ago, right? So 1934, the National Firearms Act is 88 years old. 1968, the Gun Control Act is 54 years old. When you think about that and you think about the speed at which technology changes things, right? So, uh, so today we're, we're, we're dealing with, uh, with issues and new, techn- new technological uh, improvements to firearms that no one in 1934 or 1968 were thinking about, right? So we've got to find ways to make sure that we can, um, we can overhaul those, uh, those statutes in order to try and keep the regulatory language fresh keep it up to date so that it's not so outpaced by, uh, by the technology. That's probably one of the, the biggest uh, challenges that we face today. All right. And what's uh, one of the more rewarding parts of your job as acting director? Um, you know, when, uh, when I look out and I see the men and women doing this job and I, I see uh, every day I get these things, they're called I notes. They're just little notes to talk about uh, investigations and, uh, what the what the case was about and what the outcome is. And when I see that we've had the opportunity to be there and to investigate a crime that either gave someone some closure in an instance in which maybe uh, uh, they lost a loved one or perhaps to, uh, to, to just be there to clean up a neighborhood where you know that uh, at night, you know, under the cover of darkness, it sounded like a war zone, right? And, and you know that we've had teams in there working and they finally kind of gotten in and uh, and we're able to remove those individuals who are uh, who are wreaking havoc and give the community back to the people who own it, right? To the people in the neighborhoods so they could sit out on their porch maybe in the evening or maybe a kid ride a bike down the middle of the street without worrying about being shot. Uh, those are the opportunities when, uh, when I hear and I see those stories today and knowing that I've been a part of those efforts in my, uh, in my past. Uh, that comes comes back to that intrinsic value that I talked about early on, right? I mean, knowing that you are a part of something like that, uh, that that helps to restore and to return uh, what is rightfully uh, the the I think uh, belongs to the communities uh, back to them. I really that that's probably it for me. Yeah, yeah, love to hear that. Love to hear that. And as a leader of this organization, I'm sure you've had uh, some role models and some mentors along the way. Can can you talk about any of those? Oh, yeah. So you want to talk about as a, as a young man, you know, I really there were there were guys who I, uh, I joined the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives when I was a, a, just a young sergeant at the police department. 
And there were guys who I smile uh, th- to this day when I when I talk talk about them, and I still run into them occasionally. And you can't help but appreciate them because the things that they told me then uh, and taught me then really did help me. I think uh, along the way, guys like Willie Williams and uh, guys like um, uh, Chuck Ramsey. I mean, these are guys who you know they're 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 in and of themselves, you know, just uh, legends in law enforcement. Uh, Lee P. Brown was another one of those guys. He was a chief down in Houston, Texas. He was also a uh, chief in Atlanta. Um, he had guys like uh, little known guys, even for me, who were uh, not even ATF agents, but Secret Service agents. A guy named Jerry Patton was the special agent in charge in the Dallas Field Division when I was a young agent there in Dallas, who just pulled me to the side, you know, and, and gave me good advice. Because at that time uh, in ATF, there were no black special agents in charge. In fact, there had only been one uh, when I came on the job uh, prior to that. So I didn't know what that looked like, to be honest. You know, I knew that it had to be possible. Uh, but him and a guy named Hubert Bell, Hubert Bell was the first uh, federal agent that I met who was a, a senior executive and really just a took the time to stop and talk with me at a Noble conference and say, hey, look, you know, it was a brand new uh, uh, ATF agent, uh, again, uh, was uh, just, you know, too young to really be thinking about moving up in life, you know, uh, at that time. But they, they took the time to stop and plant seeds of wisdom, right, to say, hey, look, you know what, young fellow, you know, this is what you're going to go through. You got to stick with it. Uh, and those guys really did, I think, uh, they, they, they paved the way, but at the same time, they didn't mind giving you a hand, reaching back and making sure that they pulled you along. Uh, and, and from that, I think I really, uh, that's what kind of, I think, really gives me uh, that, 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 that desire to do the same thing. So going back and having those conversations, uh, using my position today to be able to go back and to reach back to people. Uh, young people who are considering law enforcement and encourage them the same way I got that kind of encouragement. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. All right. Uh, director, acting director. I, I loved uh, everything you said today. I, I appreciate you coming on and uh, espousing some of that knowledge for myself and my viewers and listeners. I really appreciate it, but you are not done yet. I got a, a real quick question and answers session here for you and let's call this uh I this is called my black lightning round I'm just gonna throw some quick questions at you and you just throw some quick answers back at me and we'll learn a little bit more about uh Marvin Richardson so you ready go for it all right uh your favorite duty station Phoenix Arizona Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Would you would you like my to get wife, back there someday? My wife liked the heat. My my wife liked the heat, and yes, we will because she doesn't want me to be shoveling snow. <laughs> <laughs> True that. True that. All right. So we already talked about you are a Cowboys fan. So let's move over to uh, basketball. Let's say uh, Mavericks, Rockets, or Spurs. I'm gonna go with the Spurs because I was a Tim Duncan fan. Yeah. Yeah. Big ticket. All right. Got you. Um, what federal agency uh, did you collaborate most with during your career? I'd have to go with DEA. DEA? Okay. All right. I can see that. I can see that. Um, you ever seen the movie Deja Vu with uh, Denzel Washington? Most definitely. Yeah, he, he played an ATF agent in that. Uh, do, do you, did you kind of see yourself as, as Denzel? Um not exactly, but my wife did. 
True, true. That that was, that was a good movie. It just came on the other day. I just watched. I, I like yeah. that movie. Uh, so now, since your agency added explosives to your name, how come you guys don't call yourself ATFE? Oh, because the E is silent. The E is get it. <laughs> <laughs> explosives got don't it. make very much noise, so we figured we'd keep the E silent. <laughs> All right, I got, I got you, I got you. Um, Janet Jackson or Mariah Carey? Uh, Janet. Janet. Yep. I've been in love with Janice since she appeared. Her and Mike, so yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, your favorite TV mom of all time? Gotta go with Claire Huxtable. Claire Huxtable of the Cosby Show fame. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yes. yep. Um, what hidden talent do you have that nobody knows about? Uh, let's see. I'm not very good at it anymore, but once upon a time, I was a gymnast. Really? Yes, okay. sir. It's sort of, as, as you got taller, it was a little bit more difficult. Yeah, yeah. What, what sort <laughs> of uh, yeah? What sort of uh, exercise? Not exercises, but events. Were you doing as, as a gymnast? Oh, so I I compete floor exercise and uh, and the ring. So uh, between the two, I was always kind of small, so uh, didn't have too much bacon to hold up to an iron curl. So that was bad. And uh, just always had springs in my legs. I was always that guy who on the floor pushed up. Okay. Yeah. Every time I see those gymnasts, yeah, they got they got the arms and the and the shoulders. Yeah, you got you got to have the upper body strength to be a gymnast. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And lastly, so uh, Tom, I'm sure you heard Tom Brady just unretired, so he's gonna come back and play for the Bucks. And uh, if you had it to do all over again, what uh, what career move would you do if you could do all over again in your career? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm doing it. <laughs> so since I retired at 57 and uh, decided to stick around, uh, I'm actually here in my third extension right now. So I'm actually yeah. doing exactly what I would have done had I been able to retire and come back out of it uh, because it's just been a great opportunity to take everything that I've learned along the way and to be able to put it into uh, uh, to put it into action now to really take the organization into the future uh, down a path that I'm very comfortable walking on right now because after uh, I haven't been around and, and through as much as I've seen in my 33 years uh, it's a great opportunity to really you know take the agency places that I think we still have a lot of good to do in. All right how, how much longer for you? Uh, to be continued. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good Love question, you know. Uh, if they ask me to stay, I'll probably continue to do that. And, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, as long as I'm enjoying it, I tell you, I wouldn't do anything any different, right? I think uh, if anyone asked it, people always ask you that question, you know, if you had to go back and do it all over again, would you? Uh, I don't think I'd change a thing. You know, I learned so much uh, through my experiences. My family benefited so much. My children learned how to be resilient. Uh, they grew into uh, incredible young uh, young adults. And I think all of that is a part of the process. And when you change something in that process, you also change the outcome. Uh, I like the outcome that I've got. Yeah, yeah. Love it, love it. All right. Uh, I appreciate everything for you. So uh, just some words of wisdom for my viewers and listeners on the way up before I get you out of here. Hey, be the change that you want to see, right? That's not me, that's Gandhi. Uh, you know, we talk about, especially today, when you uh, look in law enforcement, uh, there are a lot of folks who uh, want to change things. Uh, they don't, uh, you know, I'm not certain that they all have the answers, but I will say this, uh, if you want to change it, be a part of the change, right? The way to be that change that you want to see 
is to get involved. So a lot of young folks, I go out there and I recruit and I tell them, you know, law enforcement is still an outstanding career field to get into. Uh, yes, we've got some changes that we have to make, some things that we can do better. But uh, you know what? It's a whole lot better when you can make that change from the inside than standing outside and just kind of window shopping, talking about it. Get inside and be a part of the solution. Facts. Facts. All right, Director Richardson, I appreciate everything that you've uh, done uh, going uh, back 30-something years and whatever you uh, plan to do in the future. I'm, I'm here for it. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate you. Though. Thank you so much for giving me the time. Absolutely. You take care and be safe. All right. God bless. Be safe. You got it. Okay, that's what's up. That was Acting ATF Director Marvin Richardson. Thank you for coming on to the program, sir. And I hope the acting gets removed from your title real soon. If you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did, make sure you give it a thumbs up right here on my YouTube channel. Or please rate this episode five stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening to me on right now. I'll be back in a couple weeks with an equally exciting story from a minority law enforcement officer in this great country of ours. But until then, y'all know the phrase. Stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. This has been a Matrix Entertainment presentation.